0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: Chapter 9 of The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 the strangest house any one ever lived in it was the sweetest most mysterious looking place any one could imagine the high walls which shut it in were covered with the leafless stems of climbing roses which were so thick that they were matted together mary lennox knew there were roses because she had seen a great many roses in india all the ground was covered with the grass of a wintry brown and out of it grew clumps of bushes which were surely rose bushes if they were alive There were numbers of standard roses, which had so spread their branches that they were like little trees. There were other trees in the garden, and one of the things which made the place look strangest and loveliest was that climbing roses had run all over them, and swung down long tendrils which made light swaying curtains, and here and there they had caught at each other, or at a far-reaching branch, and had crept from one tree to another, and made lovely bridges of themselves. There were neither leaves nor roses on them now, and Mary did not know whether they were dead or alive, but their thin gray or brown branches and sprays looked like a sort of hazy mantle spreading over everything, walls and trees and even brown grass, where they had fallen from their fastenings and run along the ground. It was this hazy tangle from tree to tree which made it all look so mysterious. Mary had thought it must be different from other gardens which had not been left all by themselves so long and indeed it was different from any other place she had ever seen in her life. "'How still it is!' she whispered. "'How still!' Then she waited a moment and listened at the stillness. The robin who had flown to his treetop was still as all the rest. He did not even flutter his wings. He sat without stirring and looked at Mary. "'No wonder it is still,' she whispered again. "'I am the first person who has spoken here for ten years.' She moved away from the door, stepping as softly as if she were afraid of awakening someone. She was glad that there was grass under her feet and that her steps made no sounds. She walked under one of the fairy-like gray arches between the trees and looked up at the sprays and tendrils which formed them. "'I wonder if they are all quite dead,' she said. "'Is it all a quite dead garden?' "'I wish it wasn't.' If she had been Ben Weatherstaff, she could have told whether the wood was alive by looking at it, but she could only see that there were only grey or brown sprays and branches, and none showed any signs of even a tiny leaf bud anywhere. But she was inside the wonderful garden, and she could come through the door under the ivy any time, and she felt as if she had found a world all her own. The sun was shining inside the four walls, and the high arch of blue sky over the particular piece of mistlethwaite seemed even more brilliant and soft than it was over the moor. The robin flew down from his treetop and hopped about or flew after her from one bush to another. He chirped a good deal and had a very busy air, as if he was showing her things. Everything was strange and silent, and she seemed to be hundreds of miles away from anyone, but somehow she did not feel lonely at all all that troubled her was her wish that she knew whether all the roses were dead or if perhaps some of them had lived and might put out leaves and buds as the weather got warmer she did not want it to be a quite dead garden if it were a quite alive garden how wonderful it would be and what thousands of roses would grow on every side her skipping rope had hung over her arm when she came in and after she had walked about for a while she thought she would skip round the whole garden stopping when she wanted to look at things there seemed to have been grass paths here and there, and in one or two corners there were alcoves of evergreen, with stone seats or tall moss-covered flower urns in them. As she came near the second of these alcoves, she stopped skipping. There had once been a flower-bed in it, and she thought she saw something sticking out of the black earth, some sharp little pale green points. She remembered what Ben Weatherstaff had said, and she knelt down to look at them. Yes! Yes! They are tiny growing things, and they might be crocuses or snowdrops or daffodils, she whispered. She bent very close to them and sniffed the fresh scent of the damp earth. She liked it very much. Perhaps there are some other ones coming up in other places, she said. I'll go all over the garden and look. She did not skip, but walked. She went slowly and kept her eyes on the ground. She looked in the old border beds and among the grass, and after she had gone round, trying to miss nothing she found ever so many more sharp pale green points and she had become quite excited again it isn't a quite dead garden she cried out softly to herself even if the roses are dead there are other things alive she did not know anything about gardening but the grass seemed so thick in some places where the green points were pushing their way through that she thought they did not seem to have room enough to grow She searched about until she found a rather sharp piece of wood and knelt down and dug and weeded out the weeds and grass until she made nice little clear patches around them. Now they look as if they could breathe, she said after she had finished with the first ones. I'm going to do ever so many more. I'll do all I can see. If I haven't time today, I can come tomorrow. She went from place to place and dug and weeded and enjoyed herself so immensely that she was led on from bed to bed and into the grass under the trees. The exercise made her so warm that she first threw her coat off, and then her hat, and without knowing it she was smiling down onto the grass and the pale green points all the time. The robin was tremendously busy. He was very much pleased to see gardening begun on his own estate. He had often wondered at Ben Weatherstaff, where gardening is done all sorts of delightful things to eat, had turned up with the soil. Now here was this new kind of creature, who was not half Ben's size, and yet had had the sense to come into his garden and begin at once mistress mary worked in her garden until it was time to go to her midday dinner in fact she was rather late in remembering and when she put on her coat and hat and picked up her skipping rope she could not believe that she had worked two or three hours she had been actually happy all the time and dozens of dozens of the tiny pale green points were to be seen in cleared places looking twice as cheerful as they had looked before when the grass and weeds had been smothering them "'I shall come back in the afternoon,' she said, looking all round at her new kingdom and speaking to the trees and the rose bushes as if they heard her. Then she ran lightly across grass, pushed open the slow old door, and slipped through it under the ivy. She had such red cheeks and such bright eyes, and ate such a dinner that Martha was delighted. Two pieces of meat and two elps of rice pudding,' she said. "Eh, "'Mother would be pleased when I tell her what the skipping rope's done for thee.' In the course of her digging with her pointed stick, Mistress Mary had found herself digging up a sort of white root rather like an onion. She had put it back in its place and patted the earth carefully down on it, and just now she wondered if Martha could tell her what it was. Martha, she said, what are those white roots that look like onions? They're bulbs, answered Martha. Lots of spring flowers grow from them. The very little ones are snowdrops and crocuses, and the big ones are narcissuses, and jonquils and down dillies. The biggest of all is lilies, lilies, and purple flags. Eh, yeah, they are nice. Dickon's got a whole lot of them planted in our bitter garden. Does Dickon know all about them? Asked Mary, a new idea taking possession of her. Ah, Dickon can make a flower grow out of a brick walk. Mother says he just whispers things out of the ground. Do Bobs live a long time? Well, they live years and years if no one helped them inquired mary anxiously there's things as helps themselves said martha that's why poor folk can afford to have them if you don't trouble them most of them will work away underground for a lifetime and spread out and have little ones there's a place in the park woods here where there's snowdrops by thousands they're the prettiest sight in yorkshire when the spring comes no one knows when they were first planted i wish the spring was here now said mary I want to see all the things that grow in England." She had finished her dinner and gone to her favorite seat on the hearth-rug. "'I wish—I wish I had a spade,' she said. "'Whatever does the want a spade for?' asked Martha, laughing. "'Aren't they going to take to digging? I must tell Mother that, too.' Mary looked at the fire and pondered a little. She must be careful if she meant to keep her secret kingdom. She wasn't doing any harm, but if Mr. Craven found out about the open door he would be fearfully angry and get a new key and lock it up forevermore. She really could not bear that. This is such a big, lonely place," she said slowly, as if she were turning matters over in her mind. The house is lonely, and the park is lonely, and the gardens are lonely. So many places seem shut up. I never did many things in India, but there were more people to look at, natives and soldiers marching by and sometimes bands playing, and my Aya told me stories. There's no one to talk to here except you and Ben Weatherstaff, and you have to do your work, and Ben Weatherstaff won't speak to me often. I thought if I had a little spade I could dig somewhere as he does, and I might make a little garden if he would give me some seeds." Martha's face quite lighted up. "'There now!' she exclaimed. "'If that wasn't one of the things Mother said, she said there's such a lot of rooms in that big place why don't they give her a bit for herself even if she doesn't plant nothing but parsley and radishes she'd dig and rake away and be right down happy over it then was a very words she said Were they said mary how many things she knows doesn't she eh said martha it's like she says a woman as brings up twelve children learns something besides her a b c Children's as good as arithmetic to set you finding out things. How much would a little spade cost a little one? Mary asked well was Martha's reflective answer at Thwaite Village. There's a shop or so, and I saw little garden sets with a spade and a rake and a fork all tied together for two shillings and they were stout enough to work with too. I've got more than that in my purse, said Mary. Mrs. Morrison gave me five shillings, and Mrs. Medlock gave me some money for Mr. Craven. "'Does he remember thee that much?' exclaimed Martha. "'Mrs. Medlock said I was to have a shilling a week to spend. She gives me one every Saturday. I didn't know what to spend it on.' "'My word! That's riches!' said Martha. "'Thou can buy anything in the world thou wants. The rent of our cottage is only one and threepence, and it's like pulling eye-teeth to get it.' now i've just thought of something putting her hands on her hips what said mary eagerly in the shop at thwaite they sell packages of flower seeds for a penny each and our dickon he knows which is the prettiest ones and how to make them grow he walks over to thwaite many a day just for the fun of it does the know how to print letters suddenly i know how to write mary answered martha shook her head our dickon can only read printing "'If that could print, we could write a letter to him "'and ask him to go and buy the garden tools and the seeds at the same time.' "'Oh, you're a good girl,' Mary cried. "'You are, really. I didn't know you were so nice. "'I know I can print letters if I try. "'Let's ask Mrs. Medlock for a pen and ink and some paper. "'I've got some of my own,' said Martha. "'I bought them so I could print a bit of a letter to my mother over Sunday. "'I'll go and get it.' she ran out of the room and mary stood by the fire and twisted her thin little hands together with sheer pleasure if i have a spade she whispered i can make the earth nice and soft and dig up weeds if i have seeds and can make flowers grow the garden won't be dead at all it will come alive She did not go out again that afternoon, because when Martha returned with her pen and ink and paper, she was obliged to clear the table and carry the plates and dishes downstairs, and when she got into the kitchen, Mrs. Medlock was there and told her to do something, so Mary waited for what seemed to her a long time before she came back. Then it was a serious piece of work to write to Dickon. Mary had been taught very little because her governess had disliked her too much to stay with her. She could not spell particularly well, but she found that she could print letters when she tried. This was the letter Martha dictated to her. "'My dear Dickon, this comes hoping to find you well as it leaves me at present. Miss Mary has plenty of money, and will you go to Thwaite and buy her some flower seeds and a set of garden tools to make a flower bed? Pick the prettiest ones and easy to grow because she has never done it before and lived in India, which is different. Give my love to Mother and every one of you.' Miss Mary is going to tell me a lot more, so that on my next day out you can hear about elephants and camels and gentlemen going hunting lions and tigers. Your loving sister, Martha Phoebe Sowerby. We'll put the money in the envelope, and I'll get the butcher boy to take it in his cart. It's a great friend of Dickens. said Martha. How shall I get the things when Dickon buys them? He'll bring them to you himself. He'll like to walk over this way oh exclaimed mary Then i shall see him i never thought i should see dickon does the want to see him asked martha suddenly for mary had looked so pleased yes i do i never saw a boy foxes and crows loved i want to see him very much martha gave a little start as if she remembered something now to think she broke out to think of me forgetting that there and i thought i was going to tell you first in this morning i asked mother and she said she'd ask Mrs. Medlock her own self. "'Do you mean—' Mary began. "'What I said Tuesday, ask her if she might be driven out to our cottage some day and have a bit of mother's hot oat-cake and butter and a glass of milk. It seemed as if all the interesting things were happening in one day. To think of going over the moor in daylight and when the sky was blue. To think of going into the cottage which had twelve children. "'Does she think Mrs. Medlock would let me go?' she asked quite anxiously. Ay, she thinks she would. She knows what a tidy woman mother is and how clean she keeps the cottage. If I went, I should see your mother as well as Dickon, said Mary, thinking it over and liking the idea very much. She doesn't seem to be like the mothers in India. Her work in the garden and the excitement of the afternoon ended by making her feel quiet and thoughtful. Martha stayed with her until tea time, but they sat in comfortable quiet and talked very little. But just before Martha went downstairs for the tea tray, mary asked a question martha she said has the scullery maid had the toothache again today martha certainly started slightly what makes thee ask that she said because when i waited so long for you to come back i opened the door and walked down the corridor to see if you were coming and i heard that far-off crying again just as we heard it the other night there isn't a wind today so you see it couldn't have been the wind uh, said Martha restlessly. Thou mustn't go walking about the corridors and listening. Mr. Craven would be that there angry. There's no knowing what he'd do. I wasn't listening, said Mary. I was just waiting for you, and I heard it. That's three times. My word, there's Mrs. Medlock's bell, said Martha, and she almost ran out of the room. It's the strangest house anyone ever lived in, said Mary drowsily, as she dropped her head on the cushioned seat of the armchair near her. Fresh air and digging and skipping rope had made her feel so comfortably tired that she fell asleep End of Chapter nine Recording by Ashley Jane Chapter ten of the Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett This Librivox recording is in the public domain Chapter ten Dicken The sun shone down for nearly a week on the secret garden. The secret garden was what Mary called it when she was thinking of it. She liked the name and she liked still more the feeling that when its beautiful old walls shut her in no one knew where she was. It seemed almost like being shut out of the world in some fairy place. The few books she had read and liked had been fairy story books and she had read of secret gardens in some of the stories. Sometimes people went to sleep in them for a hundred years, which she had thought must be rather stupid. She had no intention of going to sleep, and in fact she was becoming wider awake every day which passed at Misselthwaite. She was beginning to like to be out of doors. She no longer hated the wind, but enjoyed it. She could run faster and longer, and she could skip up to a hundred. The bulbs in the secret garden must have been much astonished. Such nice clear places were made round them that they had all the breathing space they wanted, and really, if Mistress Mary had known it, they began to cheer up under the dark earth and work tremendously. The sun could get at them and warm them, and when the rain came down it could reach them at once, so they began to feel very much alive. Mary was an odd determined little person, and now she had something interesting to be determined about she was very much absorbed indeed. She worked and dug and pulled up weeds steadily, only becoming more pleased with her work every hour instead of tiring of it. It seemed to her like a fascinating sort of play. She found many more of the sprouting pale green points that she had ever hoped to find. They seemed to be starting up everywhere, and each day she was sure she found tiny new ones, some so tiny that they barely peeped above the earth. There were so many that she remembered what Martha had said about the snowdrops by thousands and about bulbs spreading and making new ones. These had been left to themselves for ten years, and perhaps they had spread like the snowdrops into thousands. She wondered how long it would be before they showed that they were flowers. Sometimes she stopped digging to look at the garden, and try to imagine what it would be like when it was covered with thousands of lovely things in bloom. During that week of sunshine she became more intimate with Ben Weatherstaff. She surprised him several times by seeming to start up beside him as if she sprang out of the earth the truth was that she was afraid that he would pick up his tools and go away if he saw her coming so she always walked toward him as silently as possible but in fact he did not object to her as strongly as he had at first perhaps he was secretly rather flattered by her evident desire for his elderly company then also she was more civil than she had been he did not know that when she first saw him she spoke to him as if she would have spoken to a native, and had not known to a cross-sturdy old Yorkshire man was not accustomed to salaam to his masters, and be merely commanded by them to do things. That like the robin,' he said to her one morning, when he lifted his head, and saw her standing by him, "'I never knows when I shall see thee, or which side thou come from.' He's friend's with me now,' said Mary. "'That's like him,' snapped Ben Weatherstaff. "'Making up the women-folk just for vanity and flightiness. "'There's nothing he wouldn't do for the sake of showing off and flightin' his tail feathers. "'It's as full of pride as an egg's full of meat.' "'He very seldom talked much, and sometimes did not even answer Mary's questions, "'except by a grunt, but this morning he said more than usual. "'He stood up and rested one hobnailed boot on the top of his spade while he looked her over. "'How long has there been here?' he jerked out. "'I think it's about a month,' she answered. Thus beginning to do Misslethwaite credit, he said. Thou's a bit fatter than there was. Then is not quite so yellow. Thou looked like a young pluck crow when the first came into this garden. Thinks I to myself I never set eyes on an uglier sour faced young un. Mary was not vain, and she had never thought much of her looks. She was not greatly disturbed. I know I'm fatter, she said. My stockings are getting tighter. They used to make wrinkles there's the robin ben weatherstaff there indeed was the robin and she thought he looked nicer than ever his red waistcoat was as glossy as satin and he flirted his wings and tail and tilted his head and hopped about with all sorts of lively graces he seemed determined to make ben weatherstaff admire him but ben was sarcastic "Ay, there the art he said thou can put up with me for a bit sometimes when there's got no one's better there's been reddening up thy waistcoat and polishing thy feathers this two weeks. I know what there's up to. There's caught in some bold young madam somewhere tellin' thy lies, her, uh, about being the finest cock robin on Misselmore and ready to fight all the rest of em. Oh, look at him! exclaimed Mary. The robin was evidently in a fascinating, bold mood. He hopped closer and closer and looked at Ben Weatherstaff more and more engagingly. He flew onto the nearest currant bush and tilted his head and sang a little song right at him. "Thou thinks thou get over me by doing that," said Ben, wrinkling his face up in such a way that Mary felt sure he was trying not to look pleased. "Thou thinks no one can stand out against thee. That's what thou thinks." The robin spread his wings. Mary could scarcely believe her eyes. He flew right up to the handle of Ben Weatherstaff's spade and alighted on the top of it. Then the old man's face wrinkled itself slowly into a new expression. He stood as if he were afraid to breathe, as if he would not have stirred for the world lest his robin should start away. He spoke in quite a whisper. "'Well, I'm danged,' he said, as softly as if he were saying something quite different. "That does know how to get at a chap. That does. That's fair unearthly. There's so knowin.' And he stood without stirring almost without drawing his breath, until the robin gave another flirt to his wings and flew away. Then he stood looking at the handle of the spade as if there might be magic in it, and then he began to dig again, and said nothing for several minutes. But because he kept breaking into a slow grin now and then, Mary was not afraid to talk to him. "'Have you a garden of your own?' she asked. "'No, I'm bachelor and lodge with Martin at the gate.' "'If you had one,' said Mary, "'what would you plant?' "'cabbages and taters and onions.' "'But you wanted to make a flower-garden,' persisted Mary. "'What would you plant? Bulbs and sweet-smelling things, but mostly roses.' Mary's face lighted up. "'Do you like roses?' she said. Ben Weatherstaff rooted up a weed and threw it aside before he answered. "'Well, yes, I do. I was learned that by a young lady I was gardener too. She had a lot in a place she was fond of, and she loved em like they were children, or robins. I've seen her bend over and kiss em.' He dragged out another weed and scowled at it. "'That were as much as ten year ago.' "'Where is she now?' asked Mary, much interested. "'Heaven!' he answered, and drove his spade deep into the soil. According to what Parsons says. "'What happened to the roses?' Mary asked again, more interested than ever. "'They was left to themselves.' Mary was becoming quite excited. "'Did they quite die? "'Do roses quite die when they are left to themselves?' she ventured. "'Well, I would got to like them, and I liked her, and she liked them,' Ben Weatherstaff admitted reluctantly. "'Once or twice a year I'd go and work at em a bit, and prune them, and dig about the roots. They run wild, but they was in rich soil, so some of them lived.' when they have no leaves and look gray and brown and dry how can you tell whether they are dead or alive inquired mary wait till the spring gets at them wait till the sun shines and the rain and the rain falls on the sunshine and then they'll find out how how cried mary forgetting to be careful Look along the twigs and branches, and if they see a bit of brown lumps swell in here and there, watch it after the warm rain, and see what happens. He stood suddenly and looked curiously at her eager face. Why does the care so much about roses and such all of a sudden? he demanded. Mistress Mary felt her face grow red. She was almost afraid to answer. I—I I want to play that—that that I have a garden of my own, she stammered. I— there's nothing for me to do I have nothing and no one well said Ben weatherstaff slowly as he watched her that's true there hasn't he said it in such an odd way that Mary wondered if he was actually a little sorry for her she had never felt sorry for herself she'd only felt tired and cross because she disliked people and things so much but now the world seemed to be changing and getting nicer If no one found out about the secret garden, she should enjoy herself always. She stayed with him for ten or fifteen minutes longer, and asked him as many questions as she dared. He answered every one of them in his queer, grunting way, and he did not seem really cross, and did not pick up his spade and leave her. He said something about roses just as she was going away, and it reminded her of the ones he had said he had been fond of. "'Do you go and see those other roses now?' she asked. Not been this year my rheumatics has made me too stiff in the joints he said in his grumbling voice and then quite suddenly he seemed to get angry with her though she did not see why he should now look here he said sharply don't there are so many questions That the worst wrench for asking question i've ever come across get thee gone and play thee i've done talking for to-day and he said it so crossly that she knew that there was not the least use in staying another minute she went skipping slowly down the outside walk, thinking him over, and saying to herself that, queer as it was, here was another person whom she liked in spite of his crossness. She liked old Ben Weatherstaff, Yes, she did like him. She always wanted to try to make him talk to her. Also she began to believe that he knew everything in the world about flowers. There was a low hedged walk which curved round the secret garden, and ended at a gate which opened into a wood in the park. She thought she would slip round this walk and look into the wood and see if there were any rabbits hopping about. She enjoyed the skipping very much, and when she reached Little Gate she opened it and went through because she heard a low, peculiar whistling sound and wanted to find out what it was. It was a very strange thing indeed. She quite caught her breath as she stopped to look at it. A boy was sitting under a tree, with his back against it, playing on a rough wooden pipe. He was a funny-looking boy about twelve. He looked very clean, and his nose turned up, and his cheeks were as red as poppies, and never had Mistress Mary seen such round and such blue eyes in any boy's face. And on the trunk of the tree he leaned against, a brown squirrel was clinging and watching him, and from behind a bush near by a cock-pheasant was delicately stretching his neck to peep out, and quite near him were two rabbits sitting up and sniffing with tremulous noses and actually it appeared as if they were all drawing near to watch him and listen to the strange little low call his pipe seemed to make. When he saw Mary, he held up his hand and spoke to her in a voice almost as low and rather like his piping. "'Don't they move?' he said. "'It'll fright them!' Mary remained motionless. He stopped playing his pipe and began to rise from the ground. He moved so slowly that it scarcely seemed as though he were moving at all, But at last he stood on his feet, and then the squirrel scampered back up into the branches of his tree. The pheasant withdrew his head, and the rabbits dropped on all fours and began to hop away, though not as all as if they were frightened. "'I am Dickon,' the boy said. "'I know that, Miss Mary.' Then Mary realized that somehow she had known at first that he was Dickon. Who else could have been charming rabbits and pheasants as the natives charm snakes in India? He had a wide, red, curving mouth, and his smile spread all over his face. "'I got up slow,' he explained, "'because if they makes a quick move it startles em. A body has to move gentle and speak low when wild things is about.' He did not speak to her as if they had never seen each other before, but as if he knew her quite well. Mary knew nothing about boys, and she spoke to him a little stiffly because she felt rather shy. "'Did you get Martha's letter?' she asked. He nodded his curly, rust-coloured head. That's why I come. He stood to pick up something which had been lying on the ground beside him when he piped. I've got the garden tools. There's a little spade and rake and a fork and hoe. Eh, they're good uns. There's a trowel too, and the woman in the shop threw a packet of white poppies and one of blue larkspur when I bought the other seeds. Will you show the seeds to me? Mary said. She wished she could talk as he did. His speech was so quick and easy. It sounded as if he liked her, and was not the least afraid she would not like him, though he was only a common moor-boy, in patched clothes, with a funny face, and a rough rusty red head. As she came closer to him she noticed that there was a clean fresh scent of heather and grass and leaves about him, almost as if he were made of them. She liked it very much, and when she looked into his funny face with the red cheeks and round blue eyes she forgot that she had felt shy. "'Let us sit down on this log and look at them,' she said. They sat down and he took a clumsy little brown paper package out of his coat pocket. He untied the string, and inside there were ever so many neater and smaller packages with a picture of a flower on each one. "'There's a lot of mignonettes and poppies,' he said. Mignonette's the sweetest smelling thing as grows, and it'll grow wherever you cast it, same as poppies will. Them's'll come up and bloom if you just whistle to em. Them's the nicest of all. He stopped and turned his head quickly, his poppy-cheeked face lighting up. Why, that robin as is calling us?' he said. The chirp came from a thick holly-bush, bright with scarlet berries, and Mary thought she knew whose it was. "'Is it really calling us?' she asked. Ay said Dicken, as if it was the most natural thing in the world. He's calling some of his friends with that same as saying here I am, look at me. I wants a bit of a chat. There he is in the bush. Whose is he? He's Ben Weatherstaffs, but I think he knows me a little, answered Mary. Ay, he knows thee, said Dicken in his low voice again. And he likes thee. He's took thee on. He'll tell me all about thee in a minute. He moved quite close to the bush with the slow movement Mary had noticed before, and then he made a sound almost like the robin's own twitter. The robin listened a few seconds intently, and then answered quite as if he were replying to a question. "'Aye, he's a friend o' yours,' chuckled Dickon. "'Do you think he is?' cried Mary eagerly. She did so want to know. "'Do you think he really likes me?' "'He won't come near thee if he didn't,' answered Dickon. Birds is rare choosers, and a robin can flout a body worse than a man. See, he's making up to thee now. Cannot the see a chap? His saying. And it really seemed as if it must be true. He so sidled and twittered and tilted as he hopped on his bush. Do you understand everything birds say? Said Mary. Dickens grin spread until he seemed all wide, red, curving mouth, and rubbed his rough head i think i do and they think i do he said i've lived on the moor with em so long i've watched em break shell and come out and fledge and learn to fly and begin to sing till i think i'm one of em sometimes i think perhaps i'm a bird or a fox or a rabbit or a squirrel or even a beetle and i don't know it he laughed and came back to the log and began to talk about the flower seeds again he told her what they looked like and when they were flowers he told her how to plant them and watch them and feed and water them see here he said suddenly turning round to look at her i'll plant them for thee myself where's the garden mary's thin hands clutched each other as they lay in her lap she did not know what to say so for a whole minute she said nothing she had never thought of this she felt miserable and she felt as if she went red and then pale there's got a bit of garden hasn't there Dickens said it was true that she had turned red and then pale Dickens saw her do it And as she still said nothing he began to be puzzled wouldn't they give thee a bit he asked hasn't they got any yet she held her hands tighter and turned her eyes toward him I don't know anything about boys she said slowly could you keep a secret if I told you one it's a great secret I don't know what I should do if anyone found it out I believe I should die she said the last sentence quite fiercely. Dickon looked more puzzled than ever, and even rubbed his hand over his rough head again, but he answered quite good humouredly. "'I'm keeping secrets all the time,' he said. "'If I couldn't keep secrets from the other lads, secrets about foxes, cubs and birds, nests and wild things, holes, there'd be naught safe on them all. i I can keep secrets.' "'Mistress Mary did not mean to put out her hand and clutch his sleeve, but she did it. "'I stole in the garden,' she said very fast. "'It isn't mine. It isn't anybody's. Nobody wants it. Nobody cares for it. Nobody ever goes into it. Perhaps everything is dead in it already. I don't know.' She began to feel hot and as contrary as she had ever felt in her life. I don't care i don't care nobody has any right to take it from me when i care about it and they don't they're letting it die all shut in by itself she ended passionately and she threw her arms over her face and burst out crying poor little mistress mary Dickens' curious eyes grew rounder and rounder Eh? he said drawing his exclamation out slowly and the way he did it meant both wonder and sympathy i've nothing to do said mary nothing belongs to me i found it myself and i got into it myself i was only just like the robin and they wouldn't take it from the robin where is it asked dickon in a dropped voice mistress mary got up from the log at once she knew she felt contrary again and obstinate and she did not care at all she was imperious and indian and at the same time hot and sorrowful come with me and i'll show you she said She led him around the laurel path and to the walk where the ivy grew so thickly. Dickon followed her with a queer, almost pitying look on his face. He felt as if he were being led to look at some strange bird's nest and must move softly. When she stepped to the wall and lifted the hanging ivy, he started. There was a door, and Mary pushed it slowly open, and they passed in together, and then Mary stood and waved her hand around defiantly. "'It's this,' she said. "'It's a secret garden.' and I'm the only one in the world who wants it to be alive. Dickon looked round and round about it, and round and round again. (sighs) Eh! he almost whispered. It's a queer pretty place. It's like as if a body was in a dream. End of chapter 10 Recording by Ashley Jane Chapter eleven of the Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven The Nest of the Missile Thrush. For two or three minutes he stood looking round him while Mary watched him, and then he began to walk about softly, even more lightly than Mary had walked the first time she had found herself inside the four walls. His eyes seemed to be taken in everything the grey trees with the grey creepers climbing over them and hanging from their branches the tangle on the walls and among the grass the evergreen alcoves with the stone seats and tall flower urns standing in them i never thought i'd see this place he said at last in a whisper did you know about it asked mary she spoken aloud and he made a sign to her we must talk low he said or someone'll hear us wonder what's to do in here oh i forgot said mary feeling frightened and putting her hand quickly against her mouth did you know about the garden she asked when she had recovered herself dickon nodded martha told me there was one as no one ever went inside he answered used to wonder what it was like he stopped and looked round at the lovely great angle about him and his round eyes looked queerly happy eh, the nest it'll be here come springtime he said IT'D BE THE SAFEST NESTING PLACE IN ENGLAND. NO ONE NEVER coming NEAR AND TANGLES OF TREES AND ROSES TO BUILD IN. I WONDER ALL THE BIRDS ON THE MOOR DON'T BUILD HERE. MISTRESS MARY PUT HER HAND ON HIS ARM AGAIN WITHOUT KNOWING IT. WILL THERE BE ROSES? SHE WHISPERED. CAN YOU TELL? I THOUGHT PERHAPS THEY WERE ALL DEAD. EH, NO, NOT THEM, NOT ALL OF THEM, HE ANSWERED. LOOK HERE. HE STEPPED OVER TO THE NEAREST TREE an old old one with grey lichen all over its bark but upholding a curtain of tangled sprays and branches he took out a thick knife from his pocket and opened one of its blades there's a lot of dead wood as ought to be cut out he said and there's a lot of old wood but it made some new last year this is a new bit and he touched a shoot which looked brownish green instead of hard dry grey Mary touched it herself in an eager reverent way one she said is that one quite alive quite Dickon curved his wide smiling mouth it's as wick as you or me he added and Mary remembered that Martha had told her that wick meant alive or lively I'm glad it's wick she cried out in her whisper I want them all to be wick let us go round the garden and count how many wick ones there are she quite panted with eagerness and Dickon was as eager as she was They went from tree to tree and from bush to bush. Dickon carried his knife in his hand and showed her things which he thought wonderful. They've run wild, he said, but the strongest ones have fair thrived on it. The delicatest ones have died out, but the others have growed and growed and spread and spread till there's a wonder. See here! And he pulled down a thick, grey, dry-looking branch. A body might think this was dead wood, but I don't believe it is, down to the root. I'll cut it low down and see. He knelt and with his knife cut the lifeless-looking branch through, not far above the earth. "'There,' he said exultantly, "'I told thee so. There's green in that wood yet. Look at it.' Mary was down on her knees before he spoke, gazing with all her might. "'When it looks a bit greenish and juicy like that, it's wick, he explained. "'When the inside is dry and breaks easy, like this piece I've cut off, it's done for. There's a big root here as all.' There's a big root here as all this life would sprung out of, and if the old wood's cut off and is dug round and took care of, there'll be. He stopped and lifted his face to look up at the climbing and hanging sprays above him. There'll be a fountain of roses here this summer. They went from bush to bush and from tree to tree. He was very strong and clever with his knife, and knew how to cut the dry and dead wood away, and could tell when an unpromising bow or twig had still green life in it. In the course of half an hour Mary thought she could tell too, and when he cut through a lifeless-looking branch she would cry out joyfully under her breath when she caught sight of the least shade of moist green. The spade and hoe and fork were very useful. He showed her how to use the fork while he dug about roots with the spade and stirred the earth and let the air in. They were working industriously round one of the biggest standard roses when he caught sight of something which made him utter an exclamation of surprise. Why? he cried pointing to the grass a few feet away who did that there it was one of Mary's own little clearings round the pale green points I did it said Mary why I thought they didn't know nothing about gardening he exclaimed I don't she answered but they were so little and the grass was so thick and strong and they looked as if they had no room to breathe so I made a place for them I don't even know what they are Dickon went and knelt down by them smiling his wide smile Thou was right, he said. A gardener couldn't have told thee better. Thou grow now like Jack's beanstalk. They're crocuses and snowdrops, and these here is narcissus, turning to another patch, and here's daffodown dillies. Eh, they will be a sight. He ran from one clearing to another. hast done a good lot of work for such a little wench, he said, looking her over. I'm growing fatter, said Mary, and I'm growing stronger. I used always to be tired. When I dig, I'm not tired at all. I like to smell the earth when it's turned up it's rare good for thee he said nodding his head wisely there's naught as nice as the smell of good clean earth except the smell of fresh growing things when the rain falls on them I get out on the moor many a day when it's raining and I lie under a bush and listen to the soft swish of drops on the heather and I just sniff and sniff my nose end fair quivers like a rabbit's mother says "'Do you never catch a cold?' inquired Mary, gazing at him wonderingly. "'She'd never seen such a funny boy or such a nice one.' "'Not me,' he said, grinning. "'I never catched cold since I was born. "'I wasn't brought up nesh enough.' "'I've chased about the moor in all weathers, same as the rabbits does. "'Mother says I've sniffed up too much fair air for twelve year "'to ever get to sniffing with cold. "'I'm as tough as a white thorn knobstick.' He was working all the time, he was talking, and Mary was following him and helping him with her fork or the trowel. "'There's a lot of work to do here,' he said, once looking about quite exultantly. "'Will you come again and help me to do it?' Mary begged. "'I'm sure I can help too. I can dig and pull up weeds and do whatever you tell me. Oh, do come, Dickon.' "'I'll come every day if they wants me, rain or shine,' he answered stoutly. "'It's the best fun I ever had in my life.' Shut in here and wakening up a garden. If you will come, said Mary, if you will help me to make it alive, I'll... I i do not know what I'll do, she ended helplessly. What could you do for a boy like that? I'll tell thee what they'll do, said Dickon with his happy grin. They'll get fat and they'll get as hungry as a young fox, and they'll learn how to talk to the robin same as I do. Eh? Uh, we'll have a lot of fun he began to walk about looking up in the trees and at the walls and bushes with a thoughtful expression i wouldn't want to make it look like a gardener's garden all clipped and spick and span would you he said it's nicer like this with things running wild and swinging and catching hold of each other don't let us make it tidy said mary anxiously it wouldn't seem like a secret garden if it was tidy Dickon stood rubbing his rusty head with a rather puzzled look it's a secret garden sure enough he said "'but it seems like someone besides the robin "'must have been in it since it was shut up ten year ago.' "'But the door was locked and the key was buried,' said Mary. "'No one could get in.' "'That's true,' he answered. "'It's a queer place. It "'Seems me as if there'd been a bit of pruning done here and there "'later than ten year ago.' "'But how could it have been done?' said Mary. "'He was examining a branch of a standard rose, "'and he shook his head. "'Ay, how could it? he murmured, with the door locked and the key buried. Mistress Mary always felt that however many years she lived, she could never forget that first morning when her garden began to grow. Of course it did seem to begin to grow for her that morning. When Dickon began to clear places to plant seeds, she remembered what Basil had sung at her when he wanted to tease her. "'Are there any flowers that look like bells?' she inquired. Lilies of the rally does.' he answered digging away with a trowel and there's canterbury bells and camminulas let's plant some said mary there's lilies of the valley here already i saw em there's lilies of the valley here already i saw em they'll have grown too close and we'll have to separate them. but there's plenty the other ones take two years to bloom from seed but i can bring you some bits of plants from my cottage garden why does the want em then Mary told him about Basil and his brothers and sisters in India, and of how she had hated them, and of their calling her Mistress Mary, quite contrary. They used to dance round and sing at me. They sang Mistress Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow, with silver bells and shells and marigolds all de la row? I just remembered it, and it made me wonder if there were really flowers like silver bells. She frowned a little, and gave her trowel a rather spiteful dig into the earth. I wasn't as contrary as they were but Dickon laughed Eh? he said and as he crumbled the rich black soil he saw he was sniffing up the scent of it there doesn't seem to be no need for one to be contrary when there's flowers and such like and such lots of friendly wild things running about making home for themselves or building nests and singing and whistlin', does there Mary kneeling by him holding the seeds looked at him and stopped frowning Dickon she said "'You're as nice as Martha said you were. "'I like you, and you make the fifth person. "'I never thought I should like five people.' "'Dickon sat on his heels, "'as Martha did when she was polishing the grate. "'He did look funny and delightful, Mary thought, "'with his round blue eyes and red cheeks "'and happy-looking turned-up nose. "'Only five folks they likes,' he said. "'Who was the other four? "'Your mother and Martha,' Mary checked them off on her fingers, "'and the Robin and Ben Weatherstaff.' Dickon laughed so that he was obliged to stifle the sound by putting his arm over his mouth. "'I know the thinks I'm a queer lad,' he said, "'but I thinks thou'rt the queerest little lass I ever saw.' Then Mary did a strange thing. She leaned forward and asked him a question she'd never dreamed of asking any one before. And she tried to ask it in Yorkshire, because that was his language, and in India a native was always pleased if he knew his speech. "'Does... I like me, she asked. Eh, he answered heartily, that I does. I likes the wonderful, and so does the robin, I do believe. That's two, then, said Mary. That's two for me. And then they began to work harder than ever and more joyfully. Mary was startled and sorry when she heard the big clock in the courtyard strike the hour of her midday dinner. I shall have to go, she said mournfully, and you will have to go too, won't you? Dickon grinned. My dinner's easy to carry about with me, he said. Mother always lets me put a bit of something in my pocket. He picked up his coat from the grass and brought out of a pocket a lumpy little bundle tied up in a quite clean coarse blue and white handkerchief. It held two thick pieces of bread with a slice of something laid between them. It's oftenest nought but bread, he said, but I've got a fine slice of fat bacon with it today. Mary thought it looked a queer dinner, but he seemed ready to enjoy it run on and get thy victuals he said i'll be done with mine first i'll get some more work done before i start back home he sat down with his back against a tree i'll call the robin up he said and give the rind a bacon to peck at they likes a bit of fat wonderful mary could scarcely bear to leave him suddenly it seemed as if he might be a sort of wood fairy who might be gone when she came into the garden again he seemed too good to be true she went slowly halfway to the door in the wall, and then she stopped and went back. "'Whatever happens? You—you you would never tell?' she asked. His poppy-coloured cheeks were distended with his first big bite of bread and bacon, but he managed to smile encouragingly. "'If thou was a thrush and showed me where thy nest was—' "'Does I think I'd tell anyone?' "'Not me,' he said. "'Thou art as safe as a thrush. And she was quite sure she was. End of CHAPTER eleven Recording by Ashley Jane CHAPTER twelve of the Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twelve Might I Have a Bit of Earth Mary ran so fast that she was rather out of breath when she reached her room, Her hair was ruffled on her forehead, and her cheeks were bright pink. Her dinner was waiting on the table, and Martha was waiting near it. "'Thas a bit late,' she said. "'Where's the bin?' "'I've seen Dickon,' said Mary. "'I've seen Dickon.' "'I knew he'd come,' said Martha exultantly. "'How does the like him?' "'I think—' "'I think he's beautiful,' said Mary, in a determined voice. Martha looked rather taken aback, but she looked pleased, too. Well, she said, "He's the best lad as ever was born." But us never thought he was handsome. His nose turns up too much. I like it to turn up," said Mary. And his eyes are so round," said Martha, a trifle doubtful, though they are a nice colour. I like them round," said Mary. And they are exactly the colour of the sky over the moor," Martha beamed with satisfaction. "'Mother says he made him that colour with always looking up at the birds and the clouds. "'But he has got a big mouth, hasn't he now?' "'I love his big mouth,' said Mary obstinately. "'I wish mine were just like it.' Martha chuckled delightedly. "'It'd look rare and funny in thy bit of a face,' she said, "'but I knowed it would be that way when they saw him. "'How did they like the seeds in the garden tools?' "'How did you know he brought them?' asked Mary." "'Eh, uh, I never thought of him not bringing them. "'He'd be sure to bring them if they was in Yorkshire. "'He's such a trusty lad.' "'Mary was afraid that she might begin to ask difficult questions, but she did not. "'She was very much interested in the seeds and gardening tools, "'and there was only one moment when Mary was frightened. "'This was when she began to ask why the flowers were to be planted. "'Who did they ask about it?' she inquired. "'I haven't asked anybody yet,' said Mary, hesitating. "'Well—' I wouldn't ask the head gardener, He's too grand Mr. Roaches. I've never seen him, said Mary. I've only seen under-gardeners and Ben Weatherstaff. If I was you, I'd ask Ben Weatherstuff, advised Martha. He's not half as bad as he looks, for all is so crabbed. Mr. Craven lets him do what he likes, because he was here when Mrs. Craven was alive, and he used to make her laugh. She liked him. Perhaps he'd find you a corner somewhere out of the way. If it was out of the way no one wanted it no one could mind me having it could they mary said anxiously there wouldn't be no reason answered martha you wouldn't do no harm mary ate her dinner as quickly as she could and when she rose from the table she was going to run to her room to put on her hat again but martha stopped her got something to tell you she said i thought i'd let you eat your dinner first mr craven come back this morning and i think he wants to see you mary turned quite pale "Oh." she said why why he didn't want to see me when I came I heard Pitcher say he didn't well explained Martha mrs. Medlock says it's because of mother she was walking to Thwaite village and she met him she had never spoke to him before but mrs. Craven had been to our cottage two or three times he had forgot but mother hadn't and she made bold to stop him I don't know what she said to him about you but she said something as to put him in the mind to see you before he goes away again tomorrow oh cried mary is he going away to-morrow i'm so glad he's going for a long time he mayn't come back till autumn or winter he's going to travel in foreign places he's always doing it oh i'm so glad so glad said mary thankfully if he did not come back until winter or even autumn there would be time to watch the secret garden come alive even if he found out then and took it away from her she would have had that much at least When do you think he will want to see she did not finish the sentence because the door opened and mrs medlock walked in she had on her best black dress and cap and her collar was fastened with a large brooch with a picture of a man's face on it it was a colored photograph of mr. medlock who had died years ago and she always wore it when she was dressed up she looked nervous and excited yes rough she said quickly go and brush it Martha help her to slip on her best dress mr. Craven sent me to bring her to him in his study All the pink left Mary's cheeks. Her heart began to thump, and she felt herself changing into a stiff, plain, silent child again. She did not even answer Mrs. Medlock, but turned and walked into her bedroom, followed by Martha. She said nothing while her dress was changed and her hair brushed, and after she was quite tidy she followed Mrs. Medlock down the corridors in silence. What was there for her to say? She was obliged to go and see Mr. Craven, and he would not like her, and she would not like him. She knew what he would think of her. She was taken to a part of the house she had not been into before. At last Mrs. Medlock knocked at a door, and when someone said, "'Come in,' they entered the room together. A man was sitting in an armchair before the fire, and Mrs. Medlock spoke to him. "'This is Miss Mary, sir,' she said. "'You can go and leave her here. I will ring for you when I want you to take her away,' said Mr. Craven. When she went out and closed the door Mary could only stand waiting, a plain little thing twisting her thin hands together. She could see that the man in the chair was not so much a hunchback as a man with a high, rather crooked, shoulders. And he had black hair streaked with white. He turned his head over his high shoulders and spoke to her. "'Come here,' he said. Mary went to him. He was not ugly, his face would have been handsome if it had not been so miserable. He looked as if the sight of her worried and fretted him, and as if he did not know what in the world to do with her. "'Are you well?' he asked. "'Yes,' answered Mary. "'Do they take good care of you?' "'Yes.' He rubbed his forehead fretfully as he looked her over. "'You are very thin,' he said. "'I'm getting fatter,' Mary answered in what she knew was her stiffest way. "'What an unhappy face he had! His black eyes seemed as if they scarcely saw her, as if they were seeing something else, and he could hardly keep his thoughts upon her. "'I forgot you,' he said. "'How could I remember you? I intended to send you a governess or a nurse or someone of that sort, but I forgot.' "'Please,' began Mary. "'Please—' and then the lump in her throat choked her. "'What do you want to say?' he inquired. "'I am—' "'I am too big for a nurse,' said Mary. "'And please—' please don't make me have a governess yet he rubbed his forehead again and stared at her that was what the Sowerby woman said he muttered absent-mindedly then Mary gathered a scrap of courage is she is she Martha's mother she stammered yes I think so he replied she knows about children said Mary she has twelve she knows he seemed to rouse himself what do you want to do I want to play out of doors "'Mary answered, hoping that her voice did not tremble. "'I never liked it in India. "'It makes me hungry here, and I'm getting fatter.' "'He was watching her. "'Mrs. Sowerby said it will do you good. "'Perhaps it will,' he said. "'She thought you'd better get stronger before you had a governess.' "'It makes me feel strong when I play, and the wind comes over the moor,' argued Mary. "'Where do you play?' he asked next. "'Everywhere,' gasped Mary martha's mother sent me a skipping rope i skip and run and i look about to see if things are beginning to stick up out of the earth i don't do any harm don't look so frightened he said in a worried voice you could not do any harm a child like you you may do what you like mary put her hand up to her throat because she was afraid he might see the excited lump which she felt jump into it she came a step nearer to him may i she said tremulously anxious little face seemed to worry him more than ever don't look so frightened he exclaimed of course you may i am your guardian though i am a poor one for any child i cannot give you time or attention i am too ill and wretched and distracted but i wish you to be happy and comfortable i don't know anything about children to... but mrs medlock is to see that you have all you need i sent for you today because mrs sowerby said i ought to see you her daughter had talked about you she thought you needed fresh air and freedom and running about. "'She knows all about children,' Mary said again, in spite of herself. "'She ought to,' said Mr. Craven. "'I thought her rather bold to stop me in the moor, but she said—' "'Mrs. Craven had been kind to her. "'It seemed hard for him to speak his dead wife's name. "'She is a respectable woman. "'Now I have seen you I think she said sensible things. "'Play out of doors as much as you like.' "'It's a big place, and you may go where you like and amuse yourself as you like. "'Is there anything you want?' "'As if a sudden thought had struck him. "'Do you want toys, books, dolls?' "'Might I,' quavered Mary. "'Might I have a bit of earth?' "'In her eagerness she did not realise how queer the words would sound, "'and that they were not the ones she had meant to say. "'Mr. Craven looked quite startled. "'Earth?' he repeated. "'What do you mean?' plant seeds in to to make things grow to to see them come alive Mary faltered he gazed at her a moment and then passed his hand quickly over his eyes do you care about gardens so much he said slowly I didn't know about them in India said Mary I was always ill and tired and it was too hot I sometimes made little beds in the sand and stuck flowers in them but here it is different Mr. Craven got up and began to walk slowly across the room. A bit of earth, he said to himself, and Mary thought that somehow she must have reminded him of something. When he stopped and spoke to her, his dark eyes looked almost soft and kind. You can have as much earth as you want, he said. You remind me of someone else who loved the earth and things that grow. When you see a bit of earth you want, with something like a smile, take it, child, and make it come alive. May I take it from anywhere, if it's not wanted?" "'Anywhere,' he answered. "'There. You must go now. I am tired.' He touched the bell to call Mrs. Medlock. "'Good-bye. I shall be away all summer.' Mrs. Medlock came so quickly that Mary thought she must have been waiting in the corridor. "'Mrs. Medlock,' Mr. Craven said to her, "'now I have seen the child, I understand what Mrs. Sowerby meant. She must be less delicate before she begins lessons. Give her simple, healthy food, let her run wild in the garden don't look after her too much she needs liberty and fresh air and romping about mrs sowerby is to come and see her now and then and she may sometimes go to the cottage mrs medlock looked pleased she was relieved to hear that she need not look after mary too much she had felt her a tiresome charge and had indeed seen as little of her as she dared in addition to this she was fond of martha's mother thank you sir she said Susan Sowerby and me went to school together, and she's as sensible and good-hearted a woman as you would find in a day's walk. I never had any children myself, and she's had twelve, and there never was healthier or better ones. Miss Mary can get no harm from them. I'd always take Susan Sowerby's advice about children myself. She's what you might call healthy-minded, if you understand me. I understand, Mr. Craven answered. Take Miss Mary away now and send picture to me.' When Mrs. Medlock left her at the end of her own corridor, Mary flew back to her room. She found Martha waiting there. Martha had, in fact, hurried back after she had removed the dinner service. "'I can have my garden,' cried Mary. "'I may have it where I like. I'm not going to have a governess for a long time. Your mother is coming to see me, and I may go to your cottage. He says a little girl like me could not do any harm, and I may do what I like, anywhere.' Eh," said martha delightedly that was nice of him wasn't it martha said mary solemnly he is really a nice man only his face is so miserable and his forehead is all drawn together she ran as quickly as she could to the garden she had been away so much longer than she had thought she would and knew dickon would have set out early on his five-mile walk when she slipped through the door under the ivy she saw he was not working where she had left him the gardening tools were laid together under a tree she ran to them looking all round the place but there was no dickon to be seen he had gone away and the secret garden was empty except the robin who had just flown across the wall and sat on a standard rose-bush watching her he's gone she said woefully oh was he was he was he only a wood fairy something white fastened to the standard rose-bush caught her eye it was a piece of paper In fact, it was a piece of the letter she had printed for Martha to send to Dickon. It was fastened on the bush with a long thorn, and in a minute she knew Dickon had left it there. There were some roughly printed letters on it and a sort of picture. At first she could not tell what it was. Then she saw it meant for a nest with a bird sitting on it. Underneath were the printed letters, and they said, I will come back. End of chapter 12 Recording by Ashley Jane Chapter thirteen of the Secret Garden This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett Chapter thirteen I am Colin. MARY TOOK THE PICTURE BACK TO THE HOUSE WHEN SHE WENT TO HER SUPPER, AND SHE SHOWED IT TO MARTHA. "'Eh!' said Martha, with great pride, "'I never knew our Dickon was as clever as that. That there's a picture of a thrush on her nest, as large as life and twice as natural.' Then Mary knew Dickon had meant the picture to be a message. He meant that she might be sure he would keep her secret. Her garden was her nest, and she was like a thrush. Oh, how she did like that queer common boy!' She hoped it would come back the very next day, and she fell asleep looking forward to the next morning. But you never know what the weather will do in Yorkshire, particularly in the springtime. She was awakened in the night by the sound of rain beating with heavy drops against her window. It was pouring down in torrents, and the wind was wuthering round the corners and the chimneys of the high old house. Mary sat up in bed and felt miserable and angry. "'The rain is as contrary as I ever was,' she said. It came because it knew I did not want it. She threw herself back on her pillow and buried her face. She did not cry, but she lay and hated the sound of the heavily beating rain. She hated the wind and its weathering She could not go to sleep again. The mournful sound kept her awake, and because she felt mournful herself. If she had felt happy, it would probably have lulled her to sleep. How it wuthered, and how the big raindrops poured down and beat against the pane. It sounds just like a person lost on the moor and wandering on and on crying,' she said. She had been lying awake turning from side to side for about an hour, when suddenly something made her sit up in bed and turn her head toward the door listening. She listened and listened. "'It isn't the wind now,' she said in a loud whisper. "'That isn't the wind. It is different. It is that crying I heard before.' The door of her room was ajar, and the sound came down the corridor, a far-off faint sound of fretful crying. She listened for a few minutes, and each minute she became more and more sure. She felt as if she must find out what it was. It seemed even stranger than the secret garden and the buried key. Perhaps the fact that she was in a rebellious mood made her bold. She put her foot out of bed and stood on the floor. I am going to find out what it is she said "Everybody is in bed and I don't care about mrs. Medlock I don't care there was a candle by her bedside and she took it up and went softly out of the room the corridor looked very long and dark but she was too excited to mind that she thought she remembered the corner she must turn to find the short corridor with a door covered with tapestry the one mrs. Medlock had come through the day she lost herself the sound had come up that passage She went on with her dim light, almost feeling her way, her heart beating so loud that she fancied she could hear it. The far-off faint crying went on and led her. Sometimes it stopped for a moment or so, and then began again. Was this the right corner to turn? She stopped and thought. Yes, it was. Down this passage, and then to the left, and then up two broad steps, and then to the right again. Yes, there was the tapestry door. She pushed it open very gently and closed it behind her and she stood in the corridor and could hear the crying quite plainly, though it was not loud. It was on the other side of the wall at her left and a few yards further on there was a door. She could see a glimmer of light coming from beneath it. The someone was crying in that room and it was quite a young someone. So she walked to the door and pushed it open and there she was standing in the room. It was a big room with ancient handsome furniture in it there was a low fire glowing faintly on the hearth, and on a nightlight burning by the side of a covered four-poster bed hung with brocade, and on the bed was lying a boy crying fretfully. Mary wondered if she was in a real place, or if she had fallen asleep again, and was dreaming without knowing it. The boy had a sharp, delicate face the colour of ivory, and he seemed to have eyes too big for it. He had also a lot of hair which tumbled over his forehead in heavy locks, and made his thin face seem smaller. He looked like a boy who had been ill, but he was crying more as if he were tired and cross than if he were in pain. Mary stood near the door with her candle in her hand, holding her breath. Then she crept across the room, and as she drew nearer the light attracted the boy's attention, and he turned his head on his pillow and stared at her, his grey eyes opening so wide that they seemed immense. "'Who are you?' he said at last in a half-frightened whisper. "'Are you a ghost?' "'No, I'm not,' Mary answered, her own whisper sounding half-frightened. "'Are you one?' He stared and stared and stared. Mary could not help noticing what strange eyes he had. They were a gate grey, and they looked too big for his face because they had black lashes all round them. "'No,' he replied after waiting a moment or so. "'I'm Colin.' "'Who is Colin?' she faltered. "'I'm Colin Craven.' who are you? I am Mary Lennox. Mr. Craven is my uncle. He is my father, said the boy. Your father? gasped Mary. No one ever told me he had a boy. Why didn't they? Come here, he said, still keeping his strange eyes fixed on her with an anxious expression. She came close to the bed, and he put out his hand and touched her. You are real, aren't you? he said. I have such real dreams very often. You might be one of them. Mary had slipped on a woolen wrapper before she had left her room, and she put a piece of it between her fingers. "'Rub that and see how thick and warm it is,' she said. "'I'll pinch you a little, if you like, to show you how real I am. For a minute I thought you might be a dream, too.' "'Where did you come from?' he asked. "'From my own room. The wind wuthered so I couldn't go to sleep, and I heard someone crying and wanted to find out who it was. What were you crying for?' because I couldn't go to sleep either, and my head ached. Tell me your name again. Mary Lennox. Did no one ever tell you why I'd come to live here?' He was still fingering the fold of her wrapper, but he began to look a little more as if he believed in her reality. "'No,' he answered. "'They daren't.' "'Why?' asked Mary. "'Because I should have been afraid you would see me. I won't let people see me and talk me over.' "'Why?' Mary asked again, feeling more mystified every moment. "'Because I am like this always, ill and having to lie down. "'My father won't let people talk me over either. "'The servants are not allowed to speak about me. "'If I live I may be a hunchback, but I shan't live. "'My father hates to think I may be like him.' "'Oh, what a queer house this is!' Mary said. "'What a queer house! Everything is kind of secret. "'Rooms are locked up, and—' gardens are locked up and and you have you been locked up no I stay in this room because I don't want to be moved out of it it tires me too much does your father come and see you Mary ventured sometimes generally when I am asleep he doesn't want to see me why Mary could not help asking again a sort of angry shadow passed over the boy's face My mother died when I was born, and it makes him wretched to look at me. He thinks I don't know, but I've heard people talking. He almost hates me. He hates the garden because she died, said Mary, half speaking to herself. What garden? the boy asked. Oh, just, just the garden she used to like, Mary stammered. Have you been here always? Nearly always. Sometimes I've been taken to places at the seaside, but I won't stay because people stare at me. I used to wear an iron thing to keep my back straight if a grand doctor came from London to see me and said it was stupid. He told them to take it off and keep me out in the fresh air. I hate fresh air, and I don't want to go out. I didn't when first I came here, said Mary. Why do you keep looking at me like that? Because of the dreams that are so real, he answered rather fretfully. Sometimes when I open my eyes I don't believe I'm awake. "'We're both awake,' said Mary. She glanced round the room with its high ceiling and shadowy corners and dim firelight. "'It looks quite like a dream, and it's the middle of the night, and everybody in the house is asleep—everybody but us. We are wide awake.' "'I don't want it to be a dream,' the boy said restlessly. Mary thought of something all at once. "'If you don't like people to see you,' she began, "'do you want me to go away?' He still held the fold of her wrapper, and he gave it to little Paul. "'No,' he said, "'I should be sure you were a dream if you went. If you are real, sit down on the big footstool and talk. I want to hear about you.' Mary put down her candle on the table near the bed and sat down on the cushioned stool. She did not want to go away at all. She wanted to stay in the mysterious hidden-away room and talk to the mysterious boy. "'What do you want me to tell you?' she said. He wanted to know how long she had been at Misselthwaite, he wanted to know which corridor her room was on, he wanted to know what she had been doing, if she disliked the more as he disliked it, where she had lived before she came to Yorkshire. She answered all these questions and many more, and he lay back on his pillow and listened. He made her tell him a great deal about India and about her voyage across the ocean. She found out that because he had been an invalid he had not learned things as other children had. One of his nurses had taught him to read when he was quite little, and he was always reading and looking at pictures in splendid books. Though his father rarely saw him when he was awake, he was given all sorts of wonderful things to amuse himself. He never seemed to have been amused, however. He could have anything he asked for, and was never made to do anything he did not like to do. "'Everyone is obliged to do what pleases me,' he said indifferently. "'It makes me ill to be angry. No one believes I shall live to grow up. He said it as if he was so accustomed to the idea that it had ceased to matter to him at all. He seemed to like the sound of Mary's voice. As she went on talking he listened in a drowsy, interested way. Once or twice she wondered if he was not gradually falling into a doze, but at last he asked a question which opened up a new subject. "'How old are you?' he asked. "'I am ten,' answered Mary, forgetting herself for the moment. "'And so are you.' "'How do you know that?' he demanded in a surprised voice. "'Because when you were born the garden door was locked and the key was buried, "'and it has been locked up for ten years.' Colin half sat up, turning toward her, leaning on his elbows. "'What garden door was locked? Who did it? "'Where was the key buried?' he exclaimed, as if he was suddenly very much interested. "'It—it it was the garden Mr. Craven hates,' said Mary nervously. He locked the door. No one—' No one knew where he buried the key. What sort of garden is it? Colin persisted eagerly. No one has been allowed to go into it for ten years, was Mary's careful answer. But it was too late to be careful. He was too much like herself. He too had nothing to think about, and the idea of a hidden garden attracted him as it had attracted her. He asked question after question. Where was it? Had she never looked for the door? Had she never asked the gardeners? They would talk about it said Mary. I think they have been told not to answer questions. I would make them, said Colin. Could you? Mary faltered, beginning to feel frightened. If he could make people answer questions, who knew what might happen? If you want obliged to please me, I told you that, he said. If I were to live, this place would sometime belong to me. They all know that. I would make them tell me. Mary had not known that she herself had been spoiled, but she could see quite plainly that this mysterious boy had been. He thought that the whole world belonged to him, how peculiar he was, and how coldly he spoke of not living. Do you think you won't live? she asked, partly because she was curious, and partly in hope of making him forget the garden. I don't suppose I shall, he answered as indifferently as he had spoken before. Ever since I remember anything, I have heard people say I shan't. At first they thought I was too little to understand, and now they think I don't hear. But I do. My doctor is my father's cousin. It's quite poor, and if I die, he will have all Misselthwaite when my father is dead. I should think he wouldn't want me to live.' "'Do you want to live?' inquired Mary. "'No,' he answered in a cross-tired fashion. "'But I don't want to die.' I feel ill, I lie here and think about it till I cry and cry. I've heard you crying three times, Mary said, but I did not know who it was. Were you crying about that? She did so want him to forget the garden. I dare say, he answered, let us talk about something else. Talk about the garden. Don't you want to see it? Yes, answered Mary in a quite a low voice. I do, he went on persistently. I don't think I ever really wanted to see anything before, but I want to see that garden. I want the key dug up. I want the door unlocked. I would let them take me in my chair. That would be getting fresh air. I'm going to make them open the door." He had become quite excited, and his strange eyes began to shine like stars, and looking more immense than ever. "'They have to please me,' he said. I will make them take me there, and I will let you go, too." Mary's hands clutched each other. Everything would be spoiled—everything! Dickon would never come back. She would never again feel like a mistlethrush with a safe hidden nest. Oh, don't! 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 Don't do that! she cried out. He stared as if he thought she had gone crazy. Why? he exclaimed. You said you wanted to see it. I do, she answered, almost with a sob in her throat. But if you make them open the door and take you in like that, it will never be a secret again. He leaned still farther forward a secret he said what do you mean tell me mary's words almost tumbled over one another you see you see she panted if no one knows but ourselves if there was a door hidden somewhere under the ivy if there was and we could find it and we could slip through it together and shut it behind us and no one knew one was inside and we called it our garden and pretended that that we were mistle thrushes and it was our nest, and if we played there almost every day and dug and planted seeds and made it all come alive. Is it dead? He interrupted her. It will be soon if no one cares for it. She went on. The bulbs will live, but the roses. He stopped her again, as excited as she was herself. What are bulbs? He put in quickly. They're daffodils and lilies and snowdrops. They are working the earth now, pushing up pale green points because the spring is coming. "'Is the spring coming?' he said. "'What is it like? "'You don't see it in rooms if you are ill. "'It is the sun shining on the rain, "'and the rain falling on the sunshine, "'and things pushing up and working under the earth,' said Mary. "'If the garden was a secret and we could get into it, "'we could watch the things grow bigger every day "'and see how many roses are alive. "'Don't you see? "'Don't you see how much nicer it would be if it was a secret?' "'He dropped back on his pillow and lay there "'with an odd expression on his face.' I never had a secret he said except that one about not living to grow up they don't know I know that so it is sort of a secret but I like this kind better if you won't make them take you to the garden pleaded Mary perhaps I feel almost sure I can find out how to get in some time and then if the doctor wants you to go out in your chair and you can always do what you want to do perhaps perhaps we might find some boy who would push you and we could go alone and it would always be a secret garden I should like that he said very slowly his eyes looked dreamy. I should like that. I should not mind fresh air in a secret garden. Mary began to recover her breath and felt safer because the idea of keeping the secret seemed to please him. She almost felt sure that if she kept on talking and could make him see the garden in his mind as she had seen it, he would like it so much that he could not bear to think that everybody might tramp into it when they chose. I tell you what I think it would be like if we could go into it she said it has been shut up so long things have grown into a tangle. perhaps he lay quite still and listened while she went on talking about the roses which might have clambered from tree to tree and hung down about the many birds which might have built their nests there because it was so safe and then she told him about the robin and Ben weatherstaff and there was so much to tell about the robin and it was so easy and safe to talk about it "'that she ceased to be afraid. "'The robin pleased him so much "'that he smiled until he looked almost beautiful, "'and at first Mary thought "'that he was even plainer than herself, "'with his big eyes and heavy locks of hair. "'I did not know birds could be like that,' he said, "'but if you stay in a room we never see things. "'What a lot of things you know. "'I feel as if you had been inside that garden.' "'She did not know what to say, "'so she did not say anything.' He evidently did not expect an answer, and the next moment he gave her a surprise. "'I'm going to let you look at something,' he said. "'Do you see that rose-coloured silk curtain hanging on the wall over the mantelpiece?' Mary had not noticed it before, but she looked up and saw it. It was a curtain of soft silk hanging over what seemed to be some picture. "'Yes,' she answered. "'There's a cord hanging from it,' said Colin. "'Go and pull it.' Mary got up, much mystified, and found the cord. When she pulled it, the silk curtain ran back on rings, and when it ran back, it uncovered a picture. It was a picture of a girl with a laughing face. She had bright hair tied up with a blue ribbon, and her gay, lovely eyes were exactly like Colin's unhappy ones, a gay gray, and looking twice as big as they really were because of the black lashes all round them. "'She is my mother,' said Colin complainingly. I don't see why she died. Sometimes I hate her for doing it. How queer? said Mary. If she had lived, I believe I should not have been always ill, he grumbled. I dare say I should have lived too, and my father would not have hated to look at me. I dare say I should have had a strong back. Draw the curtain again. Mary did as she was told and returned to her footstool. She's much prettier than you, she said. But her eyes are just like yours. At least they are the same shape and colour. Why is the curtain drawn over her? He moved uncomfortably. I made them do it, he said. Sometimes I don't like to see her looking at me. She smiles too much when I am ill and miserable. Besides, she is mine, and I don't want everyone to see her. There were a few moments of silence, and then Mary spoke. What would Mrs. Medlock do if she found out that I had been here? she inquired. She would do as I told her, he d- answered. "'and I should tell her that I wanted you to come here and talk to me every day. "'I am glad you came.' "'So am I,' said Mary. "'I will come as often as I can, but,' she hesitated, "'I shall have to look every day for the garden door.' "'Yes, you must,' said Colin, "'and you can tell me about it afterward.' He lay thinking a few minutes, as he had done before, and then he spoke again. "'I think you shall be a secret, too,' he said. "'I will not tell them until they find out.' I can always send the nurse out of the room and say that I want to be by myself. Do you know Martha? Yes, I know her very well, said Mary. She waits on me. He nodded his head toward the outer corridor. She is the one who is asleep in the other room. The nurse went away yesterday to stay all night with her sister, and she always makes Martha attend me when she wants to go out. Martha should tell you when to come here. Then Mary understood Martha's troubled look when she had asked questions about the crying. "'Martha knew about you all the time,' she said. "'Yes, she often attends to me. "'The nurse likes to get away from me, and then Martha comes.' "'I've been here a long time,' said Mary. "'Shall I go away? Your eyes look sleepy.' "'I wish I could go to sleep before you leave me,' he said rather shyly. "'Shut your eyes,' said Mary, drawing her foot closer. "'And I will do what my ayah used to do in India. "'I will pat your hand and stroke it and sing something quite low.' I should like that, perhaps, he said drowsily. Somehow she was very sorry for him and did not want him to lie awake, so she leaned against the bed and began to stroke and pat his hand and sing a very low chanting song in Hindustani. That is nice, he said more drowsily still, and she went on chanting and stroking, but when she looked at him again his black lashes were lying close against his cheeks, for his eyes were shut and he was fast asleep. So she got up softly, took her candle, and crept away without making a sound. End of chapter thirteen. Recording by Ashley Jane. CHAPTER Fourteen of the Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen A Young Rajah. The moor was hidden in mist when the morning came, and the rain had not stopped pouring down. There could be no going out of doors. Martha was so busy that Mary had no opportunity of talking to her, but in the afternoon she asked her to come and sit with her in the nursery. She came bringing the stocking she was always knitting when she was doing nothing else. "'What's the matter with thee?' she asked as soon as they sat down. "'Thou looks as if there'd something to say.' "'I have. I found out what the crying was said mary martha let her knitting drop on her knee and gazed at her with startled eyes there hasn't she exclaimed never i heard it in the night mary went on and i got up and went to see where it came from it was colin i found him martha's face became red with fright uh, miss mary she said half crying they shouldn't have done it they shouldn't they'll get me in trouble i never told thee nothing about him "'but they'll get me in trouble. "'I shall lose my place, and what'll mother do?' "'You won't lose your place,' said Mary. "'He was glad I came. "'We talked and talked, and he said he was glad I came.' "'Was he?' cried Martha. Art thou sure? That doesn't know what it's like when anything vexes him. "'It's a big lad to cry like a baby, "'but when he's in a passion he'll fair scream just to frighten us. "'He knows us dare not call our souls our own.' "'He wasn't vexed,' said Mary.' I asked him if I should go away, and he made me stay. He asked me questions, and I sat on a big footstool and talked to him about India and about the robin and gardens. He wouldn't let me go. He let me see his mother's picture. Before I left him I sang him to sleep." Martha fairly gasped with amazement. "'I can scarcely believe thee,' she protested. "'It's as if they would walked straight into a lion's den.' If he had been like he is most times he'd have thrown himself into one of his tantrums and roused the house. He won't let strangers look at him. He let me look at him. I looked at him all the time, and he looked at me. We stared, said Mary. I don't know what to do, cried agitated Martha. If Mrs. Medlock finds out, she'll think I broke orders and told thee, and I shall be packed back to mother. He's not going to tell Mrs. Medlock anything about it yet. It's to be a sort of secret just at first said mary firmly and he says everybody is obliged to do as he pleases Aye, that's true enough the bad lad sighed Martha wiping her forehead with her apron he says mrs. Medlock must and he wants me to come and talk to him every day and you to tell me when he wants me me said Martha I shall lose my place I shall for sure you can't if you are doing what he wants you to do and everybody is ordered to obey him Mary argued Does that mean to say, cried Martha with wide-open eyes, that he was nice to thee? I think he almost liked me, Mary answered. Then there must have bewitched him, decided Martha, drawing a long breath. Do you mean magic? inquired Mary. I've heard about magic in India, but I can't make it. I just went into his room and I was surprised to see him. I stood and stared, and then he turned round and stared at me. And he thought I was a ghost or a dream and I thought perhaps he was and it was so queer being there alone together in the middle of the night and not knowing each other and we began to ask each other questions and when I asked him if I must go away he said I must not the world's coming to an end gasped Martha what is the matter with him asked Mary nobody knows for certain said Martha mr. Craven went off his head like when he was born the doctors thought he'd have to be put in asylum was because Mrs. Craven died, like I told you. He wouldn't set eyes on the baby. He just raved and said it'd be another hunchback like him, and it'd better die. "'Is Colin a hunchback?' Mary asked. "'He didn't look like one.' "'He isn't yet,' said Martha. "'But he began all wrong. Mother said there was enough trouble and raging in the house to set any child wrong. They was afraid his back was weak, and they've always been taking care of it, keeping him lying down and not letting him walk once they made him wear a brace but he fretted so he was downright ill then a big doctor came to see him and made them take it off he talked to the other doctor quite rough in a polite way he said there had been too much medicine and too much letting him have his own way i think he's a very spoiled boy said mary he's the worst young note as ever was said martha i won't say as he hasn't been ill a good bit he's had coughs and colds that's nearly killed him two or three times Once he had rheumatic fever, and once he had typhoid. Eh, Mrs. Medlock did get a fright then. He'd been out of his head, and she was talking to the nurse, thinking he didn't know nothing. And she said, He'll die this time, sure enough, and best thing for him and for everybody. And she looked at him, and there he was, with his big eyes open, staring at her as sensible as she was herself. She didn't know what had happened, but he just stared at her, and says, You give me some water, and stop talking. Do you think he'll die? asked mary mother says there's no reason why any child should live that gets no fresh air and doesn't do nothing but lie on his back and read picture books and take medicine he's weak and hates the trouble of being taken outdoors and he gets cold so easy he says it makes him ill mary sat and looked at the fire I wonder she said slowly if it would not do him good to go out into a garden and watch things growing it did me good One of the worst fits he ever had, said Martha, was one time they took him out where the roses is by the fountain. He'd been reading in a paper about people getting something he called rose-cold, and he began to sneeze and said he'd got it, and then the new gardeners didn't know the rules passed by and looked at him curious. He threw himself into a passion, and he said he looked at him because he was going to be a hunchback, cried himself into a fever, and was ill at night. If he ever gets angry at me, I'll never go and see him again, said Mary. He'll have thee if he wants thee, said Martha. They may as well know that at the start. Very soon afterward a bell rang and she rolled up her knitting. I dare say the nurse wants me to stay with him a bit, she said. I hope it's in a good temper. She was out of the room about ten minutes and then she came back with a puzzled expression. Well, there has bewitched him, she said. He's up on his sofa with his picture books. He's told the nurse to stay away till six o'clock. I'm to wait in the next room. The minute she was gone he called me to him and says, I want Mary Lennox to come and talk to me and remember you're not to tell anyone. You'd better go as quick as you can. Mary was quite willing to go quickly. She did not want to see Colin as much as she wanted to see Dickon, but she wanted to see him very much. There was a bright fire on the hearth when she entered his room, and in the daylight she saw it was a very beautiful room indeed. There were rich colors in the rugs and hangings, and pictures and books on the walls, which made it look glowing and comfortable, even in spite of the gray sky and falling rain. Colin looked rather like a picture himself. He was wrapped in a velvet dressing-gown and against a big brocaded cushion. He had a red spot on each cheek. "'Come in,' he said. "'I've been thinking about you all morning.' "'I've been thinking about you, too,' answered Mary. "'You don't know how frightened Martha is. She says Mrs. Medlock will think she told me about you, and then she will be sent away." He frowned. "'Go and tell her to come here,' he said. "'She is in the next room.' Mary went and brought her back. Poor Martha was shaking in her shoes. Colin was still frowning. "'Have you to do what I please, or have you not?' he demanded. "'I have to do what you please, sir,' Martha faltered, turning quite red. Has Medlock to do what I please? Everybody has, sir, said Martha. Well, then, if I order you to bring Miss Mary to me, how can Miss Medlock send you away if she finds it out? Please don't let her, sir, pleaded Martha. I'll send her away if she dares to say a word about such a thing, said Master Craven grandly. She wouldn't like that, I can tell you. Thank you, sir, bobbing a curtsy. I want to do my duty, sir. "'What I want is your duty,' said Colin, more grandly still. "'I'll take care of you. Now go away.' When the door closed behind Martha, Colin found Mistress Mary gazing at him, as if he had set her wondering. "'Why do you look at me like that?' he asked her. "'What are you thinking about?' "'I'm thinking about two things. "'What are they? Sit down and tell me.' "'This is the first one,' said Mary, seating herself on the big stool. "'Once in India I saw a boy who was a rajah. "'He had rubies and emeralds and diamonds stuck all over him. "'He spoke to his people just as you spoke to Martha. "'Everybody had to do everything he told them, in a minute. "'I think they would have been killed if they hadn't. "'I shall make you tell me about rajahs presently,' he said, "'but first tell me what the second thing was.' "'I was thinking,' said Mary, "'how different you are from Dickon.' "'Who is Dickon?' he said. What a queer name she might as well tell him she thought she could talk about Dickon without mentioning the secret garden she had liked to hear Martha talk about him besides she longed to talk about him it would seem to bring him nearer he is Martha's brother he is twelve years old she explained he is not like any one else in the world he can charm foxes and squirrels and birds just as the natives in India charm snakes he plays a very soft tune on a pipe and they come and listen There were some big books on a table at his side and he dragged one suddenly toward him there's a picture of a snake charmer in this he exclaimed come and look at it the book was a beautiful one with superb colored illustrations and he turned to one of them can he do that he asked eagerly he played on his pipe and they listened mary explained but he doesn't call it magic he says it's because he lives on more so much and he knows their ways he says he feels sometimes as if he was a bird or a rabbit himself, he likes them so. I think he asks the robin questions. It seems as if they talk to each other in soft chirps. Colin lay back on his cushion, and his eyes grew larger and larger, and the spots on his cheeks burned. Tell me some more about him, he said. He knows all about eggs and nests, Mary went on, and he knows where foxes and badgers and otters live. He keeps them secrets so that other boys won't find their holes and frighten them. He knows about everything that grows or lives on the moor. "'Does he like the moor?' said Colin. "'How can he when it's such a great, bare, dreary place?' "'It's the most beautiful place,' protested Mary. Thousands of lovely things grow on it, and there are thousands of little creatures all busy building nests and making holes and burrows and chippering and singing or squeaking to each other. They are so busy and having such fun under the earth or in the trees or heather. It's their world.' How do you know all that said Colin turning on his elbow to look at her I've never been there once really said Mary suddenly remembering I only drove over it in the dark I thought it was hideous Martha told me about it first and then Dickon when Dickon talks about it you feel as if you saw things and heard them and if you were standing in the heather with the sun shining and the gore smelling like honey and all full of bees and butterflies you never see anything if you were ill Said Colin restlessly, he looked like a person listening to a new sound in the distance and wondering what it was. You can't if you stay in a room, said Mary. I couldn't go on the no moor, he said in a resentful tone. Mary was silent for a minute and then she said something bold. You might sometime he moved as if he were startled. Go on the no moor, how could I? I'm going to die. How do you know? said Mary unsympathetically. She didn't like the way he had of talking about dying. She did not feel very sympathetic. She felt rather as if he almost boasted about it. "'Oh, I've heard it ever since. I remember,' he answered crossly. "'They're always whispering about it and thinking I don't notice. They wish I would, too.' Mistress Mary felt quite contrary. She pinched her lips together. "'If they wished I would,' she said, "'I wouldn't. Who wishes you would? The servants, and of course Dr. Craven, because he would get Misselthwaite and be rich instead of poor. He daren't say so, but he always looks cheerful when I am worse. When I had typhoid fever his face got quite fat. I think my father wishes it too. I don't believe he does, said Mary quite obstinately. That made Colin turn and look at her again. Don't you? he said, and then he lay back on his cushion and was still as if he were thinking and there was quite a long silence. Perhaps they were both of them thinking strange things children do not usually think. I like the Grand Doctor from London, because he made them take the iron thing off, said Mary at last. Did he say you were going to die? No. What did he say? He didn't whisper, Colin answered. Perhaps he knew I hated whispering. I heard him say one thing quite aloud. He said the lad might live if he put his mind to it put him in the humor it sounds as if he was in a temper I'll tell you who will put you in the humor perhaps said Mary reflecting she felt as if she would like this thing to be settled one way or the other I believe Dickon would He's always talking about live things he never talks about dead things or things that are ill he's always looking up in the sky to watch birds flying or looking down at the earth to see something growing he has such round blue eyes and they are so wide open with looking about and he has such a big laugh with his wide mouth, and his cheeks are as red, as red as cherries. She pulled her stool nearer to the sofa, and her expression quite changed at the remembrance of the wide curving mouth and wide-open eyes. See here, she said, don't let us talk about dying. I don't like it. Let us talk about living. Let us talk and talk about Dickon, and then we will look at your pictures. It was the best thing she could have said. To talk about Dickon meant to talk about the moor, and about the cottage, and the fourteen people who lived in it on sixteen shillings a week, and the children who got fat on the moor grass like wild ponies, and about Dickon's mother, and the skipping rope, and the moor with the sun on it, and about pale green points sticking up out of the black sod. And it was also a lie that Mary talked more than she had ever talked before, and Colin both talked and listened, as he had never done either before and they both began to laugh over nothings as children will when they are happy together. And they laughed so much that in the end they were making as much noise as if they had been two ordinary healthy natural ten-year-old creatures instead of hard little unloving girl and the sickly boy who believed that he was going to die. They enjoyed themselves so much that they forgot the pictures and they forgot about the time. They had been laughing quite loudly over Ben Weatherstaff and his robin, and Colin was actually sitting up, as if he had forgotten about his weak back, when he suddenly remembered something. "'Do you know there is one thing we have never once thought of?' he said. "'We are cousins.' It seemed so queer that they had talked so much and never remembered the simple thing that they laughed more than ever because they had got into the humour to laugh at anything. And in the midst of the fun the door opened and in walked Dr. Craven and Mrs. Medlock. Dr. Craven started in actual alarm, and Mrs. Medlock almost fell back because he had accidentally bumped against her. "'Good Lord!' exclaimed poor Mrs. Medlock, with her eyes almost starting out of her head. "'Good Lord!' "'What is this?' said Dr. Craven, coming forward. "'What does it mean?' Then Mary was reminded of the boy Rajah again. Colin answered as if neither the doctor's alarm nor Mrs. Medlock's terror were of the slightest consequence. He was as little disturbed or frightened as if an elderly cat and dog had walked into the room. "'This is my cousin, Mary Lennox,' he said. "'I asked her to come and talk to me. I like her. She must come and talk to me whenever I send for her.' Dr. Craven turned reproachfully to Mrs. Medlock. "'Oh, sir,' she panted, "'I don't know how it's happened. There's not a servant on the place that dare talk. talked. They all have their orders.' Nobody told her anything said colin she heard me crying and found me herself i am glad she came don't be silly medlock mary saw that dr craven did not look pleased but it was quite plain that he dare not oppose his patient he sat down by colin and felt his pulse i am afraid there has been too much excitement excitement is not good for you my boy he said i should be excited if she kept away answered colin his eyes beginning to look dangerously sparkling i am better she makes me better The nurse must bring up her tea with mine. We will have tea together." Mrs. Medlock and Dr. Craven looked at each other in a troubled way, but there was evidently nothing to be done. "'He does look rather better, sir,' ventured Mrs. Medlock. But, thinking the matter over, he looked better this morning before she came into the room. She came into the room last night. She stayed with me a long time. She sang a Hindustanity song to me, and it made me go to sleep,' said Colin. I was better when I wakened up I wanted my breakfast I want my tea now tell nurse Medlock dr. Craven did not stay very long he talked to the nurse for a few minutes when she came into the room and said a few words of warning to Colin he must not talk too much he must not forget that he was ill he must not forget that he was easily tired Mary thought that there seemed to be a number of uncomfortable things he was not to forget Colin looked fretful and kept a strange black, lashed eyes fixed on Dr. Craven's face. I want to forget it, he said at last. She makes me forget it. That is why I want her. Dr. Craven did not look happy when he left the room. He gave a puzzled glance at the little girl sitting on a large stool. She had become a stiff, silent child again as soon as he entered, and he could not see what the attraction was. The boy actually did look brighter, however, and he sighed rather heavily as he went down the corridor they are always wanting me to eat things when i don't want to said colin as the nurse brought in the tea and put it on the table by the sofa now if you'll eat i will those muffins look so nice and hot tell me about rajah's chapter fourteen recording by ashley jane